Welcome to Beyond the Bedside, nested stories of nursing professionals. This is a podcast where we explore the intersection of health, equity, and research by telling stories and deconstructing studies to glean those nuggets of wisdom that we can use to improve our practice as healthcare providers. The views shared are those of the hosts and guests and are not endorsed by Stanford Healthcare or its affiliates. Discussions of health and healthcare are not intended to convey or replace advice by a healthcare professional. Welcome again to all our listeners. My name is Dr. Tiffany C. Brown, and we have here Dr. Michelle Diaz-Nelson. And we're here to introduce the podcast and introduce ourselves as your hosts. Great. Well, I'm super excited to be here today. This is our first official episode on our podcast, and I'm so excited to be with you and learn a little bit more about you. So, Dr. Brown, let's just dive in. Yes. I'm going to ask you about your nursing experience and if you can share any sort of pivotal experience that set you on your nursing path. You know, that's a very great question, Dr. Diaz-Nelson. Let's get into the story. So, you know, my beginning was rough. You know, when I was born, I actually swallowed the umbilical fluid from my mom's stomach. So I had to, you know, be put on a respirator and it was, they had to drain, obviously, the fluid out of my stomach. And I was on a respirator for like several days in the NICU. So I would begin fighting for my life from the beginning. Well, obviously, I survived that. And um, in my childhood, I had a lot of surgeries. So I spent a lot of time in the hospital. So I would say that's kind of the beginning of my introduction to nursing. And while I was in the hospital, you know, I, uh, I kind of connected more with the nurses because they took care of me. Um, and I was a teenager during that time too. So they kind of helped form my thoughts with regards to nursing and what it was, specifically bedside nursing. So after graduating um, high school, I went into the nursing program. I went to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that was where I began my nursing career. When I graduated in 2020, I ended up having a terrible, terrible car accident three years later um, in January of 2003. And I had a life death experience, as I would say. Um, I was in a car accident in Chicago and uh, I slid on black ice and I was teed by a car. At the scene of the accident, I had to be airlifted because I wasn't breathing at the time um, when I was found. So I was airlifted from the scene of that accident. And it's it's an accident I don't remember, you know, because I had a brain injury Mm -hmm. and I also suffered many fractures from that. And I um, went to rehab at the Rehab Institute of Chicago. But the doctor said because of the brain injury that I would not be a nurse um, anymore. You know a lot about that with brain injuries, you know. So when doctors cannot, uh, they don't use the term miracle um, in practice. I've never heard a doctor say, this person is a miracle. But when they cannot explain a miraculous recovery, you know, meaning your brain functions back to how it previously was prior to the injury, they called it spontaneous brain recovery. So I had folks, a spontaneous brain recovery, but no, 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 no. I had a miracle. So I would say that experience was 
the pivot. They kind of helped guide me more into my nursing practice because I'd only been a nurse for two years at that time. Wow. And I was 24 at the time of the accident. Now, I'm not going to tell y'all how old I am now, though. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that. But I would like to ask, was there any part of your nursing education or journey that you just felt like you couldn't continue? I mean, I know you're a fighter. You started off life fighting. And, you know, was there anything that you experienced um, as a nursing student that you just couldn't continue or didn't know this was the right profession for you? You know, I wouldn't say that I had the challenge of deciding whether or not I wanted to continue. You know, I knew I had to continue, you know, um, for my, not just for me, I, I was taking steps and strides for my family. You know, like I'm um, first generation um, nurse or first generation graduate period, you know, um, from college and my family. And also, obviously, first generation of all the degrees, the master's and the doctoral degree. So I'm doing it more for my family and not less for me. So I didn't feel that I had the option to quit. Does that make sense? And, Absolutely. you know, I am a fighter. So, yeah, it was challenging because uh, my school at Western Michigan. Wow. So it was at the time uh, when I went, 1996, it was 28,000 students, I believe, and 2% of those students were Black. So imagine um, I would go, you know, the primary, the original, the initial classes you take, you know, like English or whatever, it would be like 200 students in the classroom, and I would be the only Black person in the wow. classroom. So that was my beginning of being the only one. And I grew up in Chicago, you know, like the Chicago land. And my high school uh, definitely was probably more 85 to 90 percent, you know, black. Wow. So and it was a different, uh, it definitely was, a, I think the challenge, the, it was a mental challenge with going from where you're, you're one of many. The, the majority. Exactly. The majority to one of very little or few. And so that was sort of your motivation to to continue and to be that for your family and the future of Black nurses, I would imagine, too. Yeah. You know, now in my family, there are, you know, I have cousins that are nurses. I have my sister-in-laws are nurses, you know, but I was the first. I had some cousins, you know, that were uh, a little, I had actually one cousin that was older than me that is a nurse. And she's actually my second cousin, you know, but um, yeah, so I think I kind of helped to pave the way, you know, as far as more people in our family, you know, getting and diving into nursing. Right. So, uh, but it didn't come without trials. Right. Absolutely. What was your motivation to pursue further education, master's and doctorate level degrees in nursing? I would say almost, you know, pretty similar, the same reason, you know, like initially, after I would say, let's say about over 10 years and working on the floors and then, you know, in the hospitals, 10 to 15 years, I would say, I decided I wanted to do more than I was doing. You know, like I, I wanted to have more hands-on with being a part of the decision-making for oncology patients. And I wanted to dive more into the diagnoses and understanding why we choose the treatments that we choose. And you know, I wanted to have more patient on provider interaction that was more than um, the nursing that I was doing. So I went, I had came outside of the bedside, you know, that's where beyond the bedside. So I came outside of the bedside, no longer at the bedside and more 
still at the forefront. And so I enjoy that. So that was, you know, the initial motivation to do that. Great. So we will introduce the pearls of wisdom. So this is what we'll be asking all of our guests on the show at the end of the interview. And it's basically symbolizing inner wisdom related to nursing. And so I'm going to ask you the the three questions. So the first one is after a demanding week, what's your go-to indulgence to decompress? Exercise. As I mentioned in my bio, I love hiking. I'm like an outdoors person. So I like to get out on the trail. That's where I release any energy that I have been keeping inside from, from work or any tensions or stress. And I like release it into the atmosphere out in the outdoors. And you know, it helps me to connect with the earth, you know, with the creator of the earth and with myself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Who do you consider your healthcare hero? And what impact have they had on your career? Healthcare hero. That I should have prepared more for this question. You know, it's hard for me to say that if I had like a sp- specific healthcare hero, you know, I would say for sure the doctors that help bring me back to life. Yeah, <laughs> After absolutely. That, you know, car accident. And it's the little things like the little, the nurses that took care of me while I was in high school, when I was having all these surgeries to kind of help guide me into the nursing profession. You know, I would say they're, they're the heroes. So those are the, the personal heroes. But then, you know, the everyday heroes, you know, at work like you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so sweet. I love nursing, you know, I love the career and I love my colleagues who also walk with me through this. I love being the person to help walk other people, patients through different challenges and, you know, pain and suffering and guide them to a healing place with what I do. Great. Well, they're very lucky to have you. And so am I to have you as a co-host. <laughs> so reflecting on the start of your nursing journey, What's one piece of advice um, that you wish you had known and that you would have been a, maybe a game changer um, as you started nursing? That's also a good question. I didn't read these questions before because I just wanted everything to be fresh. <laughs> There's this saying, you know, actually it's a quote. I can't remember who said it, so please forgive me. Life is live forward, but understood backwards. So, you know, what I would say, you don't know who you are back like i didn't know who i was going to be today back then you know the woman the young lady the child you know being born struggling for life the the teenagers uh, having different surgeries from different challenges you know the young adult going to college and being the one in view by african american students in school to now i have a masters in div you know and uh, i went to seminary and now a doctorate in nursing, I didn't know who I was going to be back then, and I didn't know the amount of strength that I was going to have to have and the perseverance. So I would, one pearl I would say to anyone is, don't give up because you, there, your, your, your next chapter, you don't know what it's going to be, but you help to pave it, you know, by just keep going and pursuing it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brown. It's so nice to to be here in this setting with you. And I look forward to hosting alongside with you and meeting our future guests. Same. Thank you so much for the questions. <laughs> okay. So now, Dr. Diaz Nelson, you're in the hot seat now, Uh-oh. dear. <laughs> so tell me an experience, a pivotal experience that set you on your nursing path? So 
you know, I, I wanted to be a nurse from a very young age. And um, the I went to the University of Arizona for undergrad, and they had a, a really good nursing program that was had a two or three year waiting list. Okay. So I knew that it could not be in undergrad for mm. more than, you know, five years. So I decided to pursue a public health um, degree, under undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to the Bay Area. My sister lived here. And so I started by, um, I moved out and took a six-month internship working as a case manager in the Tenderloin with mm-hmm. breast cancer clients. And during that time, I realized, okay, I've, I've got some health experience and I really want to pursue nursing because, you know, as a case manager, I was working with nurses and they were just doing such amazing work for for the patients that I was working with. And um, I decided, okay, I'm going to apply back to the University of Arizona for their nursing program because that's where my home is, that's where my family is. And you know, I could never be accepted into any other program. And so I applied to the University of Arizona several times and and got denied. And so what was one of my my colleagues who I was working with, she said, well, you live here in the Bay Area. Have you applied to any of the colleges out here? And I said, no, like, you know, UCSF is down the street, but I could never get into a place like that. You know, it's a very, you know, it's a top rated school. and, And I just felt like I was not equipped to apply and be accepted. And she said, well, with an attitude like that, you're never going to get into any program. And so I was like, wow, that, you know, why do I not feel like I'm worthy and capable? And so I said, okay, I'm going to apply. And so I applied to UCSF School of Nursing program, which was a master's entry program, and I was accepted on the first round. And so that was a really special moment. And it was, it inspired me to to believe in myself and to um, to pursue nursing, so I was able to get my undergraduate, you know, RN license as well as a master's in nursing. Excellent, thank you, thank you so much for sharing. Well, you know, I understand now that your nursing program, your direction, how you got there. Were there moments where you questioned, you know, your decision to continue, or what challenges or obstacles that you faced when you got there? Oh gosh, absolutely. I felt, you know, I had already felt like I didn't belong in that space, you know, at this, you know, um, university. And I thought, so I was just so excited about being accepted. And when I was in the program, I realized that I was in new territory. I was amongst people that had had these really sort of crazy backgrounds, like doing work in other countries and just, you know, have had already done so much in their life. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like, oh, I'm, you know, this girl from El Paso and I did some case management work. Like, do I actually belong here? And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I did question that. And then there were some courses that were challenging for me. And so I had to seek out, you know, support and guidance. You know, I've always, I always worked a lot. That Mm -hmm. was sort of, you know, we were raised with this great working ethic. And so as a MEPIN student at UCSF, you were not allowed to work during the first year. So mm-hmm. it was just discomfort that I had to feel to focus on on my education and not working. And so that was sort of a shift as well. Okay. Okay. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. Regarding continuing, you know, where did that decision come in to move forward and get your PhD? Yes. So I was um, taking a master's, one of my master's courses, and the professor, Dr. Laura Wagner, who um, ended up being, you know, one of my mentors, she 
was teaching the intro to research. And I remember being in like the first class thinking, wow, this is really important in, in nursing and in healthcare and like, how can I get involved? And so I went up to her after class and I said, you know, introduce myself. And mm-hmm. I said, this is who I am. And can I, is there anything I can do to be a part of your studies, like as a research coordinator? And so she said, absolutely. So we, at the time she was interviewing foreign nurses who were working in like nursing home settings. So I was in the field, like riding, driving all over to, to nursing homes mm-hmm. in the Bay Area and we'd interview these nurses. And I was lucky enough to be able to do the transcription, which if you know now about transcription, Mm -hmm. it's a very tedious job. And so (laughs) um, I actually enjoyed doing that at the time, which um, (laughs) is is kind of funny. And so at that point, I said, wow, I really like this. And so, you know, as the years went on, she had said, have you considered a PhD? And I just thought, absolutely not. Like, that's craziness. Like, why are we talking about that? I'm also a first gen a graduate student. And so I thought also like that, I could never do that. You know, I've, I've come this far, but I'm tired. And so um, she said, well, think about it. So I thought about it for, for a full year and it was very obvious that that's what I wanted to do. And so I pursued the PhD program and and started that, you know, a couple years after my master's. And so, um, awesome. yeah, and I'm so glad I did it. And I do not regret I'm one moment. I'm glad you did too. Thank you. <laughs> Great. So you were kind of given some little hints and clues of different mentors, maybe inspirations that you had uh, along this path, along this journey. Were there any other people that you wanted to share that might you might have considered or consider now like mentors or inspirations to where you are now with, you know, with nursing research and in that department? And- yeah, there's so many people, you know, in my nursing career, I've had so many mentors, nurses, physicians, you know, social workers, yeah that have have shared sort of their work and path with me that helped me guide my sort of path in this field. And so my mentors in nursing school and, you know, masters and my PhD were pivotal because there were so many times that I wanted to give up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family understood, but not to the degree of, you know, somebody who's in the profession and the field. And so it was important to have them. And as I was pursuing my PhD, COVID happened. And right. and I just thought like, what am I doing? You know, I want to just be focused on my family and, and our health. And like, I don't need a PhD. I think I'm done. And so I was going to stop the PhD. And my husband said, no, I don't really think that's an option for you. And I just laughed like, what do you mean I don't have an option? He said, well, you've gotten so far. And you know, I had a, a therapist at the time and we I talked with her about it and she's like, yeah, I think your husband is right. Mm-hmm. And so just having those people to acknowledge that you're tired and you want to give up, but then sort of support you so that you can keep going. And so, mm-hmm. you know, now we fast forward four years and I'm so glad that I did it. Me too. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I'm sure along this this journey, you know, you've uh, gathered many pearls of inner wisdom. So I want to know what you can share with us today. Like, you know, when you have a demanding week, what is your go-to indulgence or way of escape? So for me, I think I always say that I want to watch a show or mm-hmm. like watch a movie, but I am not a person that will actually like sit down and watch a show. I'll I'll sort of decide that I need to like fold the laundry or 
or write emails. And so that's not, I feel like it doesn't really count. So for me, I think it's getting out of the house mm-hmm. and connecting with friends and family mm-hmm. in sort of a non-work way. So whether that's like on a hike yeah. or going out to try new restaurants or grabbing a glass of wine, that's that's sort of how I I, I like all those things. Yeah. So I'll, we'll have to do that together. Yes, sometimes. perfect. Dr. Diaz <laughs> Thank you. Who do you consider your healthcare hero and what impact did they have on your career? You know, like you, that's kind of a, a loaded question. Yeah. But I, I will say, you know, it was the people along the way that that guided and supported me and sort of took me under their wing. You know, I think about Dr. Wire Jamora, mm-hmm. um, who is a neuropsychologist, and I worked with her at Trauma Hospital, and and she does research and was very much sort of like, this is what you're doing clinically. How mm-hmm. can we think about it? This in a research sure. perspective, and so she really shared with me her her sort of clinical expertise and research, um, but also met me where I was, sure. right? Yeah. And then you know my mentors in in the nursing programs. Um, so for me, though, they're my heroes because I wouldn't be here where I am. And now that I've finished my programs, um, I'm able to give. Um, my my plan is to give back and to to pave the way and support the other, you know, first gen nurses, especially who mm-hmm. who don't feel that they belong or that they can't do this work. Excellent. So reflecting on the start of your journey, what's one piece of advice that you want to leave with the listeners? Um, that, you know, now that would have been a game changer to you back then? I think believing in yourself and knowing that you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if you know that that's what you want to pursue, then do it. And, you know, it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to ask for different types of help. So I think that would be my advice is you can do it, believe in yourself, and get help along the way. Excellent. I'm going to give you... A hand clap for that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time for the research spotlight segment. I am with Dr. Hampton, and let's just dive in. So, what is the goal for the research spotlight segment? So, we know it takes years for research to make it into practice, right? And that's partially due to people generating research uh, not being the same people who actually have to put it in practice. But then there's the other part that has to do with how we report research findings. We're expected to be so delicate with the conclusions that we draw in our studies that I think sometimes we might not leave the impression on our readers that we hope to. So with that said, and keeping in mind that no decisions about policy or practice would be made based on the results of a single study, this segment is to dream big and to think about ways that we can use research findings, pretending this is an ideal world where we have the resources and the power to make change. Great. Tell me about the studies selected for us today. This is a study by Wagner, Alderson, and Spetz published in 2020. I think you're familiar with at least some of these investigators. The title is Admission of First Generation to College, Pre-Licensure, Master's Entry, and Graduate Nursing Students. So what I heard the two of you describing were some common themes for underrepresented students in healthcare. 
And those are being the first generation to go to college and your family. And then the other was just feeling discouraged about your chances of getting into a nursing program, which is a really real uh, concern for nursing students. Barriers like these are a major problem for diversifying the nursing workforce. And even though the affirmative action ban came about in California in the 90s, the recent national ban has renewed paranoia in academic institutions about what they can and can't do to bring diverse representation into our program. So in the next several years, I think we can expect to see some changes in admission policies. And for that reason, studies like this are, are going to be really important. Thank you. Can you tell us what the study was about and what were the major findings? So I really like studies like this that look at the applicant pool because we can get distracted sometimes by assumptions that underrepresented students just aren't interested in nursing or they didn't apply at all. And we can see in this study that that wasn't the case. So what happened in this study was that between 2012 and 2017, there were three programs where they tracked 3,400 total applicants. And they compared first-generation to non-first-generation applicants that they admitted into each of those three programs, which were the Accelerated RN, the Master's, and the PhD program. And what they found was that 30% of applicants were first generation. And thinking about that, if no other criteria had been used besides just first generation status, this alone would have brought significant diversity to the applicant pool. First generations were more likely to be students of color, to be older, to be veterans and immigrants. So for admissions, there weren't any significant differences in admission by first-generation status for the accelerated RN or the master's program, although there was a higher rejection rate for those students in the PhD program. And another interesting finding was that although their GPAs were lower, it was a really modest difference, only the difference of 3.4 versus 3.5 on average. So I think a common misconception when faculty dispute accepting students with lower GPAs, I think they have this image of struggling students that are below a C average when we see that they were actually very close and they're strong students who are absolutely qualified for these programs. Thank you for, for sharing these, these important findings. How do you think these findings can be used to improve nursing workforce diversity? I think there's a lot that's really interesting to take away this study, but I'm going to focus on just three. First, uh, starting with the Accelerated RN program, which at this university, it was their only entry-level nursing program. From my observation, a lot of attention and funding goes to BSN programs for nursing workforce diversity, but second-degree mm -hmm. programs could be the most accessible pathway for nursing admission. It, of course, requires getting a bachelor's degree first in another field and a number of prerequisite courses. Uh, but if it's not already on the radar of college counselors, it definitely should be. And uh, because if they don't get in on their first try to a traditional nursing program, then they should absolutely be thinking about a second degree program and focusing on a different major. Second, they found that first-generation students tended to be older, were more likely to work, have children, and take longer to graduate. 
I spent a lot of time in academia in the office with students who were struggling with grades, not because they lacked ability, but because they were working so much, they weren't able to put the time in to study. So with this in mind, financial planning and support could be the most important strategy to emphasize upfront rather than study skills and academic services for these students. The affirmative action ban does not have to mean that we abandon our efforts to diversify our cohorts. Improving representation in the nursing workforce is as important now as it ever was. And what this study highlighted for me was that there are a number of characteristics that we can look for that will allow us to bring diversity without using race as a criterion. And those were first-gen status, uh, work experience is another characteristic that brings valuable knowledge, and we're more likely to see that in students from lower socioeconomic groups. And then finally, using holistic admissions to ensure that you have the freedom to select students that will make great nurses regardless of what turns out to be really meaningless differences in grades and test scores. So I wouldn't say that I'm looking forward to learning what post-affirmative action college admissions look like, but I am definitely curious to see what comes next. Thank you, Dr. Hampton. I appreciate you sharing the findings from, from this um, publication and discussing the compelling ways that we can improve nursing workforce diversity. Thank you for joining us today and being part of our Beyond the Bedside Nested Stories of Nursing Professionals podcast community. Working toward health equity in the U.S. is a heavy lift, but it's possible to make strides if we work together. Be sure to email or message us if you have any ideas for show topics, guests, or with your questions. And if you found today's discussion insightful, please like or subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, and most podcast streaming platforms. The links for these platforms will be located in our show notes. Thank you again.